Loved ones, we turn together in God's word to Matthew 6, verse 9, and then you can see printed there a couple of different psalms. So I will read them, the psalms following Matthew, one after another. And then, as you notice in your bulletin, we will confess the truth of what we believe the scriptures to teach about this first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name in the Heidelberg Catechism. So we continue today in our series in the book of Matthew, going through the Lord's Prayer as we welcome visitors and as we hear now God's word. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Emmaus Road, what do you believe? Let's turn to page three in our bulletin. We are joining with the church through all of history as we confess these words from the Heidelberg Catechism regarding the Lord's Prayer. What is the first petition? Hallowed be your name. That is, grant us first rightly to know you and to sanctify, magnify, and praise you in all your works, in which your power, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth shine forth. And further, that we so order our whole life, our thoughts, words, and deeds, that your name may not be blasphemed, but honored and praised on our account. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what's the focus of the church of Jesus? A church's gaze matters. Is it inward or more outward? Let me put it another way. What's the mission of the church? How would you explain that to your kids, to your neighbor, to an unbelieving relative? In Matthew 28, the mission of the church is given to us. To go into the world and to make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus in the power of the Spirit, with the presence of Christ with us, gathering these disciples into churches as the family of God crying out to our Heavenly Father. Churches that worship 
and love Jesus, that praise and sing, hallowed be your name. Brothers and sisters, the mission of the church is evangelism and discipleship and church planting to the goal of the praise of God in all things. Today we continue to look at the Lord's Prayer, which is a pattern and a priority not only for how we pray, but for how we live, for who we are as a church. And we can't ask things of God in prayer that don't lie deep in our hearts. And the first petition today, that God's name would be hallowed, means in our thinking, in what we love, in our priority, in how we pray, in how we live, in how we worship, in our prayer for the neighborhoods around here, we are asking that the name of God might be made known and advanced. What is God's name first? When we hear, hallowed be your name, what's the opposite of that, kids? When I say, it's hot, the opposite, you would say, children, is, I'm cold. (laughs) The opposite of hallowed be your name is to take the name of the Lord in vain. The first petition of the Lord's Prayer, then, is directly tied with the third commandment in Exodus 20. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. But what does that mean, to take God's name in vain? Vain means empty, worthless. It means blaspheming and cursing God's name. And loved ones, all you have to do is turn the radio on or listen to TV or you hear people use the name of God in all sorts of situations. Oh my, and then using the word God or Jesus. When they're shocked, or surprised, when we're angry or upset, when we're excited, when something's funny or discouraging. The third commandment speaks to how we speak. The third commandment also speaks to where we receive God's revelation. Jeremiah 23 says, beware of false visions and false claims to speak on God's behalf. Such prophets prophesy lies In my name, the Lord says. Here's Alistair Begg. What does this mean practically to us? He says, sometimes people use God's name to explain to me where they're moving, why they're taking this job, or who they want to marry. They'll say, the Lord told me to move to Ohio. The Lord told me to switch jobs. The Lord told me to marry this person. Alistair Begg says, I want to be tender, but also direct. I suggest to you, he says, beware of the phrase, the Lord told me so. Beware of it. Except when you're saying what the Bible has said. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will grant you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37. How else do we misuse God's name? We know our hearts. So, well, sometimes we don't really, do we? But, but deep within, our motivations, when we are casual, apathetic, or distracted, 
we take God's name in vain or we blaspheme God's name when our minds are on lunch rather than with Elder Drake as he's praying. It's so easy for us to just go over there or go over here. It's the motivation of the heart that the commandment speaks to. By nature, I don't want to hallow God's name. By nature, I'm all about my name. Build a tower for me, the Tower of Babel. One pastor tells a story. The family stops for ice cream. You guys like ice cream, kids? A big malt in the middle of the day. It tastes so good, and then afterwards, you can be so tired. <laughs> but, oh, it goes down easy. They saw a sign in the store. Life is short, so eat more ice cream. This man says, that is Epicureanism. You say, what is that? Well, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's everywhere. It's alive. Epicureanism. We consume for ourselves what we want without any thought of God or any thought of how to live for God. By nature, we're self-absorbed. We think of my name, my interest, my ambition. So to the average person on the street, if you say, what does it mean, hallowed be your name? They would say it means absolutely nothing. Until, by the grace of God, you are born from above. Until God gives you a new heart, new eyes, new motivations, new desires, until you're converted. And God now is your father because Christ is your elder brother and you approach your holy father by the blood and merit of Jesus and you say, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But what's the big deal about God's name? That might be another question. Why is this important? You're in Starbucks They either call out your name or they write it down and they misspell it, mispronounce it, and you might not even be sure if that's you. And you kind of laugh and maybe you're a little annoyed, but they don't know you and so you understand. But someone who knows you or you thought knows you, they mispronounce your name. You're really hurt. There's a difference, isn't it? Because it's suggesting that they don't have a concern for you to get your name right. You feel slighted. That's true on a human perspective. How much more when it comes to the name of God? Every name has a meaning. Kids, if you ask mom and dad, why did you name me this? Or what does my name mean? In the Bible, a name that a person has reflects who they are. God's name is not just letters on a page. His name is his self-revelation. God is unknowable in his being. He's infinitely exalted. Everything above everything is finite. But in his revelation of his name, he comes near to us. He condescends so that we as creatures can know something of the infinite God. There are many names of God in the Bible, aren't there? God's name is a way of speaking of his character, his attributes, his work, who he is and what he's done. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
El Shaddai, God Almighty. Or we love stories. Don't, it's so much easier to understand this in a story than to read a book. It's important to read books. I'm not saying it's different, but you know what I mean. A systematic theology is good, but you can kind of lose where you are easily. El Shaddai, okay, that's good. What, what about a story? God appears to Moses, Exodus 3. He says to him, in an amazing way, I've come to reveal myself to you. Moses says, okay, if I go to the people, and if they say to me, who has sent you? And they ask me, what is his name? What should I say? Remember that, kids? It's the burning bush. The bush is burning, but it's not burning up. It's God present there. And God says, you say, I am that I am. I am who I am. The covenant name Yahweh is connected with the name and the verb to be. So the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has the power of being eternally in himself. He's self-existent. He's not dependent on anyone. You and I have a point of beginning and a birth and a point of death when we will as Christians, go to be with the Lord forever. But God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's self-existent. He doesn't depend on anyone. And it's logically impossible for a self-existent, eternal being not to be. Everyone and everything else depends on God. He is unchangeable. He is faithful. He is glorious. That means weighty. His glory is like a gem with many facets. Maybe some of you women have a diamond that you turn and you see different facets of, or a stone at home that you look at and you see different dimensions to. The glory of God has ever new reflected ways that it's admired. It's the supremacy of God in everything. He's infinitely glorious. His love, his grace, his justice, his holiness is glorious. His name is holy. And his name is clearly seen, this is amazing, in Jesus. Because it's easy to think, well, that God is unknowable. But he has come near to us in the person and work of Christ. Jesus, meaning God saves Christ, the anointed one, the prophet, priest, and king, our savior. At the cross, we see the love and justice and the mercy of God meet. And the way to see God's glory then is to hear his name. To know the name Yahweh, the merciful and gracious one. For us, loved ones, as Christians, it's not just to know about him, as if you're reading about him and he's out in some other place at some other time. It is to know him savingly in Christ. Christians, you are people of God's name. Baptisms are in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And when, by the power of the Spirit, you trust in Christ, whatever, and whatever time that is in your life, you are united to Christ, and you're given a new name, a new character. You're an adopted child of God. And you bear the name of God in your callings. And you live a different way, secondly, to magnify God's name. What does it mean to say, hallowed be your name? First petition of the Lord's Prayer. That's not a word you use much, is it? Hallowed. <laughs> it can kind of sound like strange to us or unapplicable or unreal. May your name be honored. May your name be treated as majestic and beautiful. We all love beautiful things. God is beautiful. Your name is holy. Your name is glorious. And we're not just saying that, but we're asking in a petition, a request, God, may your name be delighted in by your people. It's the glory and honor of God that's our concern. That's our priority. That's, as a church, what we're about, first and foremost. When it comes to priorities in prayer, though, it's so easy for us to skip over this or just kind of check out from this. Kevin DeYoung, your kids come to you. They say, we have several requests, Mom and Dad. We've got a whole list of them. Are you ready? And you think, well, maybe. But we want you to know before we give you these requests that we love you and we want you to be honored. That would change it, wouldn't it, a bit? Then you would know something about the nature of what they're about to say next. And so it is with the Lord's Prayer. Jesus here doesn't begin with our needs. He'll talk about that. But the Lord's Prayer begins, not me or my, but one another, together, corporate, praying to God, about God, petitioning God, that his name would be made great among us. Here's another way to put it. To hallow God's name is to magnify his name. That's why we read Psalm 34. But what does it mean to magnify? Again, we can kind of just say these words without thinking. Here's another really helpful illustration, kids. You've got a microscope, and you've got a ladybug. And you put that ladybug under the microscope, and it makes that little ladybug look huge, like it's going to come and swallow up your dog, a big ladybug. Or you have a telescope, and you're in North Dakota, and it's really dark and midnight, and the stars are everywhere. And you look through it, and you see Saturn, and you see some rings. Which one of these applies to God? This person says, the telescope. We're not making God bigger than he is. We're not having like a tiny ladybug look huge. We are seeing him as vast and majestic and holy as he is. We're seeing Saturn, which we can't see at all, but now we're seeing it a little bit better through the telescope and through the close-up picture. We don't make God more holy. But we pray that we would love and honor him as holy as he is, that he would become more glorious in our eyes, that he would be worshipped and adored, that you would come here Sunday not just to kind of come and sit 
but to meet the living God by his word and by his spirit. This is not saying you only have to follow this exact pattern when you pray, loved ones. Sometimes you're in such grief, distress, you say, God, help. God, hear. God, save. God, be merciful. You don't have to think, well, I've got to go back and begin the Lord's Prayer to do that. No, God says, cry out to me at all times. Prayer is living in constant dependence on God in every moment of our life which is why we don't just kind of set aside a time to pray, but we pray during the day. We pray as we're driving. We pray as we're working. We pray as we're in the midst of tension and pressure at home. But we're reminded here of the Godward dimension of life and praying. Your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. This reorients us. Because if you're anything like me, you, can, you feel pressure and then you kind of go somewhere else. And you don't think of God. And we think about ourselves. So this slows us down. Like Paulison's eight questions that I mentioned earlier. We'll go over those more as a church in weeks to come. It sobers us up. It helps us be reoriented upon God and his glory and Thinking about the Lord more than just ourselves. And here is where a danger can easily creep in. During the wonderful time of rest you guys gave us, I was listening to someone talk about the church. They said, what is the greatest danger in the church? Maybe you want to say one of, because there's all sorts of dangers. But what is one of the greatest dangers of the church? Francis Schaeffer says, to do ministry from the flesh and not from the spirit. To make it about performance, to make it about trying harder, to turn inward rather than crying out to God, build your church, glorify your name. And so, loved ones, whenever we meet in worship, in Bible studies, in prayer meetings, but even in committee meetings, we ought to begin those meetings with prayer. I was a part of a committee meeting this week. I forgot to do it. I should have. Afterward, I realized I should have prayed as we began. We're on Zoom. It, it, it's so easy to, to kind of, wherever, whether you're on Zoom or in person, kind of begin elsewhere. Lord, let's begin with prayer. Every time we meet, when we gather together in a coffee shop, when we talk together on the phone, let's pray with and for each other. God's name is magnified as we pray. God's name is magnified as we worship as a church family. Alistair Begg again. When you came to church this morning, what were you thinking? He says, well, you might have thought, I hope there's some songs I like that we sing. I hope the first point doesn't keep dragging on in the sermon. I hope there could be all sorts of hopes that we have. It's good to want to sing songs, and it's good to not have a sermon drag on. But he said, where is God in our thinking? Are we saying, God, be hallowed and glorified as we worship today? Is that what we're thinking? Is that what the pastor's thinking? Is that what we are coming to church expecting? In worship, we worship God as he's commanded in his word. The scene in heaven right now 
that we participate in by faith in the heavenly places in Jesus is angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The scene on earth is God's name being trashed, cursed, blasphemed, and we know in our own hearts, often ignored. As we worship, is God's name being lifted up? In scripture, in singing, in preaching, in fellowship, we all need to grow as Christians. If we're not growing, we will stagnate and die like a bog in August in the back of the park. That's just gross. Moldy mildew and seaweed and everything is dead. The gathering of God's people, corporate worship on the Lord's Day is crucial and essential to how we grow. It's not the only way we grow, but it's foundational. Without it, we can't grow. When we're trying to live alone, we can't live the Christian life alone. We can't just be a silo over here. What are the aspects of praising and magnifying God? Trusting God begins there. If someone's not converted, expecting them to hallow God's name would be like saying, I'm going to fly to the sun on wings made of ice. Impossible. The Pharisee, worshiping God by his word, but not with our hearts, our sins of unbelief and misusing God's name, there's repentance needed for all of us. We worship God by thinking, reminding ourselves of the names of God, of his faithfulness to us, of the inexpressible joy we have as those who are in Christ, who have been brought from death to life. Do we recognize that in our lives? What an amazing Savior we have. We once were dead in sins. By his sovereign grace alone, he has brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Dear Christian, you are a child of the living God by grace, through faith. That should ignite faith, thankfulness and praise in our hearts. And we struggle. And so we, got, we say, God, help me to awake. That's partly how, why we sing together. Crown him with many crowns. Awake my soul and sing to see the beauty of Christ. To help each other see the beauty of Christ. We express praise. What does that mean? C.S. Lewis, he was first converted. He said, why do Christians always talk about praising God? And why is God always asking us to praise him? Is he conceited? Is God just like us who say, I went five for six yesterday in my baseball game. I am the next coming of Ted Williams. Or I, look, you should see me play the piano. I am really there. Do, do you want to know someone who's really good? Look at me. When people talk like that, we know that, that's so conceited. We know in our hearts we think that a lot, and we say it sometimes. Is that God? Lewis said, I didn't understand how praise works. When you enjoy something, that joy overflows to others. If you like music, you say, come and listen to this clip on YouTube. It's amazing. Come and join me at the Art Institute. I got to show you a painting I saw 
Wow. You want others to join in. Why? Because the expression of praise completes the joy. That's Lewis's phrase. When God says to you, glorify him, he's inviting you to enjoy him. And that's why singing together helps. The words say it better than we can say it. That's why praying together at the prayer meeting helps. I'm encouraged as you pray. Now, as a side note, maybe you you think, I don't want to come and pray out loud. You don't have to pray out loud to come to the prayer meeting. I hope you know that. There's no requirement. No one's going to force you to pray. You can sit there and praying with us, not have to be forced to pray out loud. Just wanted you to know that. The people of God have a mission to praise and hallow the Lord. What makes us what we are is often what we love. So through adoration, we change by the Spirit to love God and to praise him more. Our loves change, our desires change. That's why congregational singing is so important. We want excellence in singing. We want to continue to grow as a congregation in singing. We need the Holy Spirit in singing in every part of worship. So, loved ones, worship is the call to worship to the benediction, the prayers, the songs, the scripture, the sermon. All of it is worship, not just singing. All of it. As we sing better, we enjoy God more. Our hearts are engaged more. Singing helps to connect the truth of God to our emotions. That we would behold. That's what we read in Psalm 63. Beholding God. Praise wants God for who he is for us in Christ. This is evangelistic. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at this more. Your kingdom come. Personal doxology is not enough. God's purposes are global. So what is our motivation principally in telling others about Jesus? It is the hallowing and honoring of God's name. Because by telling others about Jesus, we bring God's name before them in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in this community, and in the whole world. The mission of the church is that through evangelism and missions, God would build his church and he would have worshipers for his name who are converted to worship the Lord. Christianity is global. Missions is from everywhere to everywhere. And it begins here for us, an outward-looking perspective that as a church, we would pray, God, convert the lost. Bring unbelievers here and save them by your spirit. Save our children who are not trusting God. Fulfill your promise, God. Build your church that your name would be hallowed. That's the ultimate goal of all of this. God, be faithful to yourself. Hear us, we pray. This is a missionary prayer. That the vision of the church and its worship 
is what's called, one person says, a doxological fellowship. Praising God, fellowshipping together, growing as disciples. Not that we would stay introverted, but that we would go out. That the praise of God that we love to do together as a people would lead us to go forth boldly with the gospel and invite others to trust in Jesus and come and worship God with us. God, save the lost. Save the nations. Build your church with worshipers to your name. And help me day by day. This is a prayer of repentance. Loved ones, hallowing God's name means the humbling of our pride. And everything in me that would exalt myself. He must increase, I must decrease. God is not in a proud heart because there's no room for him, one person said. It's just filled with pride. By nature, we exalt our own name. By grace, we begin to exalt God's name. Repentance. God, forgive me for my unbelief. Forgive me for not realizing the treasure of Christ, the call of the Great Commission, and the privilege I have to share with others that I live around and work around about Jesus and his love for sinners. God, help me to have a priority for you and your name. You and I bear the name of God everywhere we go. When you're at home with your kids, when you're at work at the office, when you're traveling, when you're talking with your spouse, God, help me where I am this week in the way that I use the time, the treasure, the talent you've given to live in a way that is consistent with honoring your name that I might give you glory. How we think about God shapes how we live our lives. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Those two things go together. They're not separate. We live solely Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. The happiest life is the one lived for God's glory. And a mark of God's grace in us is when we become more God-dependent and less self-centered. For myself, for all of us. This is a prayer, not just for our lives, but for this city, for the world. God, answer this prayer in Africa and Germany and Turkey. One day the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2. You promise to hallow your name. As one man says, Jesus, come quickly. Come in glory. Destroy sin and Satan and evil as you have promised to do. Bring a vast company of worshipers before the throne of God and the Lamb. Because, loved ones, this petition of the Lord's Prayer is the one petition that will go on for all eternity. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive honor and power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and blessing.
Amen. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the apathy of our hearts, for our unbelief. Stir in us by your spirit an affection and a love for your name and your glory and your gospel and to see that your church is built as you have promised from every tribe and tongue and nation. As you have said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. O God, be glorified by us at Emmaus Road this day throughout the week in our callings. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.